Welcome this morning. It's uh, good to see your smiling faces. A year ago, I preached at Thanksgiving. I don't know if anybody remembers that. But I spoke about being thankful for suffering. Today, I'm going to talk about something that might be a little easier to talk about, and that's uh, thank God for his love. Uh, we, we Generally speaking, we like that better. I'm going to be speaking out of uh, Psalm 36. And if you've been around for a while, you know just where that is in your Bible. But if you have a, one of the newer church Bibles, it's on page 299. If you have one of the older ones, it's on page 335. Psalm 136 starts out like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is one of those passages where, if you don't know the original language, uh, you miss a lot of the nuance here. And it sounds like this the psalmist is just saying three things over with slightly different words. But actually, there is a, a significant Uh, Some significant points here that he's trying to make. So first of all, who is God that we are urged to thank him? Who are the gods of men? Generally, they're created by men in the image of men. They're self-centered and capricious. They tend to be easily offended and difficult to appease. None of the many gods of the ancient world are worthy of worship. And you know what's interesting is how little things have changed. (laughs) And these days we watch TV and we see our gods performing for us. And they look bold and heroic, and especially if they have lots of special effects. But the fact is, they are capricious and self-centered. And they're kind of just like us, only with a little extra pressure somehow. A little extra puffing up. So first the psalmist says, the Lord who is good. Uh, You might know that um, this, when the word the Lord is put in all capital letters, uh, generally speaking, the translators are trying to let us know that he's talking about the great I am. Sometimes people would uh, refer to that as, as Yahweh, even though we really don't know how it was pronounced. <clears throat> this this God who identified himself to Moses as I am. When Moses said to the Lord, who are you that I can tell them who you are? He said, I am. Tell them I am has sent you, sent me. And what he's trying to communicate is that he exists apart from anything else. Everything else is utterly dependent on what's around us. You know, there's all this stuff about climate change and we're all going to die and there's hurricanes going to come through and we're going to drown, you know. And it really shows our dependence. We cannot analyze the great I am. We cannot break him down into his component parts. He is in every way utterly beyond us. Yet he has chosen to reveal himself to us. We would really literally have no idea what he is 
had he not spoken to us and revealed himself. Um, <clears throat> Moses was not allowed to see the Lord's face. Do you remember that uh, scene where the, and Moses said, that, let me see your glory. And, and God said to him, you cannot see my glory and live. I'll, I'll cover you with my hand and pass by and then you can see my back. But you can't see my face. We are privileged to look on his face. We have a privilege that even Moses did not have. And when we look at his face, who do we see? His name is Jesus. Jesus came as a baby, so utterly humble. That was the I am. He is utterly mighty. He is, he is everything. And, and yet he reveals himself as the I am. And we are allowed to look on him and know him. So the Lord who is good. And then he, and then he says to give thanks to the God of gods. Now this is the actual Hebrew word for God. And really what it points out is the strong one. This refers to God's great power. There's none who compares to him. He is the greatest. He could be very scary. Have you ever been in a room and somebody stands up and their head almost reaches the ceiling and they kind of take up half of the airspace? <laughs> Have you ever thought, oh, I think I'll go over and say hi. <laughs> I mean, that uh, God could be very, very scary. Except that the Great One loves us forever. Let me ask you this, especially for you ladies. What bride wants to marry a weakling? Which of you ladies sought out a, a guy that you thought, oh yeah, he's a wimp, I can handle him? And probably not what you were looking for. The church's bridegroom, one who is our bridegroom groom forever, is actually the greatest ever. And then third, he says, the Lord of Lords. And in this, the psalmist compares God to all human lords. Great men strive to be the best or the richest or the most admired. Men are so foolish. They will never compare to the Lord of Lords. And why do we thank him for his love? Well, we're the ones, we are the descendants of those who wrecked his perfect garden. Can you remember when you were small and you messed up something that was really precious to your mom? Can you remember that? Can you remember how that felt to realize you had utterly disappointed your parents? And it, it was... <laughs> I remember times like that. I remember one time I was in the kitchen and I don't even know what I did. And my mom looked down at me and said, Billy, you used to be such a good little boy. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know what to say. It's like, what do you say? She was undoubtedly right, but, you know. Can you remember when you did something that really angered your parents? Can you remember how terrible you felt? And how terrifying it was. Picture God finding you just after you have done what's wrong. You think to yourself, oh no, now I'm really going to get it. 
Instead, he takes you in his arms and holds you close until you stop trembling. And then he tells you he's going to fix the problem. That's the God we have. He's not a good God who stands afar shaming those who are not perfect. You know, God would be totally justified in that. You know, I've done that with my kids. They've messed up and I've, you know, have you ever done that? Any parent here ever done that? <laughs> did, uh, did that make me a bad parent? God, God would not, it would not mess up God's goodness to shame us. Instead, he plunges into the mess we have made and makes all things new. This is not just good news. It's flat out unbelievable. People say they have trouble believing the gospel. I understand. That is crazy. Why would God do that? What happened in the law of Moses when you touched a leper? Yeah, if you touched a leper, you were unclean. You could not go in the temple. You couldn't even associate with other people. We had to go through this whole cleansing ritual before you could even get back in the same um, in the same company with other people. You became unclean. Do you remember this? What happened when Jesus touched the leper? The leper was healed. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's who our God is. That when we mess up, He loves us so much enough to reach us down and make reach down to us and make us clean. Is it any wonder that we often struggle to believe it? Don't you sometimes struggle to believe you can be healed, or that your sin can really be completely forgiven? That's the meaning of His steadfast love endures forever. So thank God for his love. And second, he goes in in verses 4 through 9 to uh, describe what God does. And what he's describing is how pervasive God's love is and how it extends everywhere. Verses 4 through 9, to him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Um, does the psalmist seem to be a little repetitious here? Could he, could he be trying to hammer home a point? You get that picture of hammering, right? Have you ever hammered on a nail and it didn't want to go in so you went and got a big hammer? Then it went in, yeah. And the psalmist here is hammering on a point and that God's love endures forever. Uh, I think it's also interesting I'm not sure. I've never really measured this, but this may be the longest sentence in the whole Bible. This whole psalm is one sentence. It just goes on and on. And it says the same thing in every verse. God's love endures forever. 
His love extends to all areas. It's not just the religious, the spiritual, or the social. Now, <clears throat> it's an it's a article of faith in the American Constitution that there is a separation between church and state, that the state may not establish religion, right? Okay, I got bad news for you. Jesus doesn't buy that. From his point of view, he penetrates everything. And what he says is just as relevant to politics as it is to your prayer life. And uh, I'm not saying that we go around and, you know, people don't want to receive Christ. We tie into a stake or something. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that we have this thing in America where there's whole areas of life that are separate from our faith. And uh, that's not uh, that's not the way Jesus is. So he starts out by talking about to him alone who does great wonders. You ever looked around and, and noticed the great wonders that God has done? He's filled the earth with great wonders for us. Sunrises and sunsets. Have you ever looked at those? It's just remarkable, isn't it? You know, why didn't God just make the sky overcast all the time so we wouldn't have to put up with that? What, what, what God would have thought of twice a day reminding us of his beauty with sunrises and sunsets? Beaches and mountains. Anybody here like beaches? Anybody like mountains? <laughs> it is just amazing, isn't it? You go to the beach and you just start feeling good, don't you? You get up on a high mountain and you're just, oh man, I'm glad I could drive up here. <laughs> Canyons and volcanoes. You know, I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I have looked at pictures of people looking down into the Grand Canyon and it just gives me the willies looking. i got to close the book. That's scary. Have you looked at a volcano, people taking movies of volcanoes? I mean, that is just awe-inspiring, isn't it? And I see people up there wanting to get closer. And I think, there's a fool born every minute. I don't want to get anywhere close to that. Though we so have so marred his garden, it's still wonderful to behold. We, have we not marred this planet, even with all its beauties? And it's still wonderful to behold. Every year, millions spend billions just to travel to see his creation. Even people that don't know God or have any respect for him. Even people that would deny that the Grand Canyon is anything but an example of extreme erosion. Look, go out there and look at it and are filled with that feeling of wonder and awe. So he's done great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens, he created things by understanding. Have you ever thought of that? How significant that is? When he created things by understanding, he did it in such a way that we could follow his thinking in what he did. We are being let into the mind of God by studying his creation. And somebody gets the Nobel Prize for some fantastic discovery. And God is up there saying, well, it took you long enough. And he created this whole world that is this huge playground for our curiosity. 
Sometimes people say, well, what in the world would we do in heaven? Well, if it's any better than earth, it's going to be a fantastic adventure. It really is. He could have created it in a way that we could never understand, but he used understanding so that we could come behind him, calling what we discovered new, but it's not new to him. Even though we live in a broken world, his creation can still be relied upon. His creation can still be relied upon. And then he spread out the earth for us. He gave us access to amazing resources. Every year, doom and gloom is forecast, and we do see much of it, right? You know, is the climate changing? Well, hang around, it'll be different tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, but there is a reality to climate change, and there is a reality to pollution and all those things. But we also see amazing progress. Did you know that in the last 40 years, 2 billion people have moved from below the UN poverty line to above it? When I was young, we heard that the earth would soon run out of food. Today, with twice the population, we are no closer to running out. I think somebody got it wrong in there somewhere. God has given us tremendous resources. What has happened is that all that although all we do is broken, we're making better resources, better use of the resources that God has spread out in the world for us. And it's just absolutely remarkable that God could foresee all this. And even though we make such a mess of things, he still preserves his creation. And then in the last two verses in this section, it talks about the sun and the moon and the stars. He gave us the means of measuring time and date accurately. While we can abuse anything, this enables us to be much more efficient. Have you ever thought of how helpful it is to have time and to have date? <laughs> you know, you can look back in ancient times where people were trying to describe what day it is. And they talk about, well, in the fourth month of the third, you know, and it just gets so complex. And years later, people are looking back and trying to figure out what in the world date they were talking about. And how, how helpful it is, like if you want to talk to somebody, to have a time and a place where you're going to do that. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. That works because God built time and date into the universe. People have often said, not realizing it, that the that the universe runs like a clock. And that's because that's the way God made it. All these things have been called his common grace because God in his goodness gives them to all men, both the good and the bad. He has always been and continues to be ridiculously generous with his rebellious cre creation. Truly, we have much to be thankful for. And then his permanent love, verses uh, 10 through 22. Just talked about how his love pervades everything. We're going to talk about how it is permanent. He isn't going to change. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. 
with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. You guys can join me on this. You know the words. For his steadfast love endures forever. And killed many king, mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Well, that, you're getting it. Zion, king of the Amorites. For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage. For his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It's going to go on for a while, right? Now, the psalmist rehearses Israel's redemption from Egypt to the promised land. He talks about the night of the Passover when the firstborn of of Egypt were struck down and Israel was let out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. He reminds them of the miracle of the Red Sea and the defeat of Pharaoh and his host. Then he reviews the destruction of the Amorites and Bashan and their kings to give Israel an inheritance. One of the things I want you to notice that was not mentioned in this rehearsal of God's love for Israel and all he did for them. When you start thinking about it, it should hit you like a ton of bricks. Nowhere in any of this is Israel's worthiness mentioned. These people were not worthy of any of this. That is not part of what's going on here. And the reason for it is because they were not. Anybody ever read the history of Israel? Genesis, (laughs) you know, and how could anybody take, how could anybody take people like that and make them God's own people? Well, he did. And that's lucky for us. The cause of Israel's redemption is mentioned in every verse. It says, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's why God did it. This should give us us great hope because we too can be redeemed, even though we are not worthy. Because redemption is not based on the worthiness of the redeemed but is instead based on God's steadfast love that endures forever. Redemption is permanent. God's redemption is the solid foundation. As Jesus explained, he came to fulfill in us the redemption that he started, foreshadowed in earlier times. Today, we don't expect an exodus from Egypt or an inheritance in Palestine. Rather, we are living in this world today in light of spending eternity enjoying God's love that endures forever. None of us deserve redemption. We are all, we are all of low estate spiritually and need rescue. He will provide all that we need. I'd like to talk for a few minutes about some of the things that God has done for us here in Grace Fellowship. And we won't start back in Egypt, but we will start with just a few families getting together in homes. And that's all we were at first, less than 20 people. Um, I'm not even sure the exact date on that. 
And then the, the, we soon started meeting at Southridge Motel. Now, for any of you that remember that, Southridge Motel was not the classiest place in town. But God worked there. We grew to more than 20 people before we outgrew that meeting room and they closed the place. So we took a big step up from Southridge Motel to Motel 6. Actually, it was the nicest Motel 6 that I've ever seen. But, yeah, it's now the quality in. Um, then again, God was faithful. Through the years there, we grew to more than 40 as God gave us those he had selected. The next move was more complicated, and that was to the DM office. Now, this was just an adventure. <clears throat> we weren't really planning on going there. But disciple makers ran into this huge kerfuffle with the zoning office in Ferguson Township. And they would only let disciple makers use half the building, which was crazy. And they cited all these different issues. And basically, they just didn't want to do it. Um, and so we didn't know how to make them do it. It's like they weren't even giving us a real option as far as getting to use the whole building. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, half a building approved for occupancy and the other half not? <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing, you know. But there it was. So we're looking around. And what we find out is that if we were only a church, they couldn't do If If DM was a church... They couldn't do that to us. There's a special law. Uh, it's uh, the religious land use and uh, handicapped person or disabled person, the handicapped persons act. I forget. It's one of those. Anyway, so if Grace Fellowship used the buildings on Sunday, see, and that was the part of the building that was not approved, then they couldn't keep us out. <laughs> is that insane? It is, yes. And we 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 found the lawyer who had authored that bill for Congress. And he wrote us a letter. Now, it was an expensive letter. <laughs> but compared to what it got, it was cheap. It was really cheap. And uh, he wrote the letter, sent it to the township's lawyer. The township's lawyer read it. And we got a call from the zoning office within hours of receipt of that letter that our, our occupancy permit was ready and we could come up and pick it up whenever we wanted. <laughs> that's crazy, isn't it? So that's, that's actually how we got in the DM building. It was um, a mutual benefit sort of thing where uh, DM got to use the whole building. And uh, disciple makers got to have a place for church. Yeah, no, disciple makers. Grace Fellowship got to have a place for church. Then we got to, uh, we grew somewhere about 80 over there. And then disciple makers wanted to renovate, so we had to move. Well, interestingly enough, right at that time was when Calvary was moving out of their old building. And they wanted us to move into it. All we had to do was buy it. And the, the first plan is whatever money we could come up with, they'd sell it to us for that. 
And I'm like, cool, we'll give you the whole bank account. <laughs> but that was just absolutely a great deal. And then their bank told them they couldn't do it. That they had to get a certain amount of money. And I looked everywhere I could, you know. But I have to say, a million and a half dollars is a lot of money. <laughs> I just couldn't find it anywhere. And I, I tried getting other churches to join in with us and tried doing this and tried doing that. And finally just had to tell Dan, no, Dan, we really appreciate what you guys are doing for us, but we just can't do it. So <clears throat> they did let us meet over there, essentially just for the cost of the utilities. And I'm sure that most of you here remember the time meeting in Calvary's old building. And, and that was a, a tremendous privilege. <clears throat> so they let us use that. But of course, we knew that sooner or later, Calvary was going to have to do what their bank told them. And so they had to sell it for a million and a half dollars. So that was not, um, that was like a lifeline, but it wasn't a way across the ocean, shall we say. So then there was the impossible deal. And I've talked about that to, to some of you anyway. It involved four churches, uh, three different ethnicities, and two buildings. <laughs> and I can't tell you the number of times where I pulled that deal together and got was getting everybody together and then it went, blew up. I, I, I lost track of the number of times where I said, okay, well, this isn't going to work. And um, God just kept bringing it back together. And as you know, the Lord enabled us to buy this building with the Koreans. And the, the, the best way that I can summarize that deal is that we got this place for half price. That's incredible. It is insane. Uh, God is doing a, an amazing thing. Ours is a story of a small, unworthy people, small, weak, unworthy people whom God has chosen because his love is so great. We, we now are about six times the size we started with, and we're still just a very small church. We are able to do much more than we used to, but we are still very limited and weak compared to many churches. This is not a story of our worthiness. It's a story of God's greatness and goodness. And that we are thankful for. We are especially grateful that God has chosen this small, weak, unworthy people to show his glory. That's incredible. You know, and finally, God has given us a broader region um, impact through the uh, a broader impact in the region through the city church. Now, you know, making disciples is not my idea, right? It's not even disciple makers' idea. That's Jesus' idea, right? When we first joined City Church, Grace Fellowship was the only church talking about it. Now almost, I'm not, I have not made an exact count, but somewhere around half the churches in the City Church emphasized making disciples. You guys, God is using you guys and your efforts, small though they be, to actually impact the broader community. 
We started as the uh, smallest church involved in the city church. Now we're not so small. We actually fit in the middle range. Several of the city churches do sermons as we do, using a sermon review committee of some kind, and at least part of the time have, the, have elders preach the sermons. Is that remarkable? When, when we first got involved in the city church, this one will, will blow your mind, but some of you may remember this. When we first got involved, the city church believed that no successful church plants had happened in this area since, well, for the last 20 years anyway. They believed it had not happened. And now there are several, and, and quite successful in fact. It's, uh, so God has just done great things, and we have so much to thank him for and to praise him for. So his love is permanent, it's, it's, it's pervasive, it's permanent, and his love is also very personal. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast, no, wait a minute. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. So what is your redemption story and how is it progressing? We've heard in this psalm, we've heard Israel's redemption story. I've given a quick summary of of, uh, Grace Fellowship's redemption story. What's your redemption story personally? If you've not come to know Christ, it's time you did so. If you do know him, let me encourage you to thank him. Remembering what he has done in the past and thanking him for it helps us to believe him for the future. You, if you, yeah, if you're like me, you're very proud. You're very proud deep down to the core. And yet you also think of yourself as not being someone who has a great deal of strength or influence. But to God, you are not an afterthought. You were in his mind from eternity past and through eternity to come. He wants you to know that his steadfast love endures forever, that his love for you is is pervasive, it's permanent, and it's very, very personal. It actually knows you. All those things you hide from everybody else, he knows. And it's not a problem. He's going to make it come. He's going to make it all right. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you. We, we are so grateful for all that you've done. Uh, Father, in, in giving us such a wonderful creation and uh, in redeeming us and redeeming our lives and calling us to yourself, making us uh, your own. Father, you've provided all that we need, and um, and your plan is to give us a home with you for eternity. 
Father, we, we can't believe that you would love us so much. And yet it's obvious that you want us to believe that. Thank you, Father, that your steadfast love endures forever. Help us to put our faith in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.